Hey there, and welcome to the second Apron Podcast, a podcast where we look at the <laughs> NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. Uh, maybe we shouldn't rename as the second second Apron Podcast, no. but it, but it, it, you know it's a phrase that is going to be out there uh, for quite some time and figures pretty prominently today on the day that the Hawks trade John Collins. Yeah, I, I, it's going to be interesting as we get to the first week of July and kind of get past the moratorium and all that sort of stuff to see how different teams react. I, you know, you're seeing like Phoenix just kind of like, you know, trying to kind of consolidate salary into a handful of players as much as possible. Um, and, you know, to, to, to a degree, it looks like Golden State's going to try to do that, but prioritizing bringing, bringing Draymond back and, you know, brought in Chris Paul and they were able to set up Pulse money, but it's, I think it's going to take a month or two to kind of figure out are there two, three common strategies teams are using to deal with that? Four? Fewer? It's, I think it's going to take a little time to to figure that out and then, you know, the guy that we say goodnight to at the end of every podcast will, will certainly help us understand uh, kind of what we're seeing more than I can help anyone understand what we're seeing in that way. Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like it's going to go the way that a lot of uh, optimization games or strategies go, which is to say that you worry about the big pieces first and you get those plugged in, and what works best to, to fit around that is to sort of pack in the little pieces. And, uh, you know, the, the NBA's middle tier might get squeezed a little bit in upcoming free agencies. As as teams look to sort of trim in the middle, I think. Yeah, that or players that have tended to look for maybe a little less money playing for a really good team, that option might not be there so much anymore. And it might be I could take a better contract on a team that's you know not so good, or I can take, you know, more of a discount to go play for a team that you know might be chasing a title or something like that. Well, Right. We'll have to have to kind of see. It feels like the other the other aspect is you used to get, you know, teams that were obviously in their contention window kind of kind of doing whatever it takes to a degree. And then you but you'd have a, a number of other teams kind of hovering like right at the tax. And if their season wasn't on a trajectory that made them feel good about staying there, they'd make a move or two right at the deadline and duck right under it, you know. I feel like that middle ground is going to be harder for teams to kind of justify kind of being in that range. You know, now I feel like either in your window or you're not in your window. And and I don't know that we're going to see kind of teams kind of hovering at that same place anymore. Um, but I mean, that, that, yes, let's not, let's not bury the lead, I guess though. Let's, let's go, <laughs> you know, let's go to the specific trade itself, I guess, and say, well, you know, what what do you make of it? What what do you like? What do you not like? Is it good? Is it bad? What are your impressions here? Well, well, first of all, the funny part to me, and then I'll give my more analytical response. The funny part to me is that there's nothing like being traded for by Danny Ainge to get your the trade rumors about you to die out. <laughs> Danny Ainge doesn't typically get trade rumors to die out. I'm just hoping for that this is actually uh, a period of sustained time for him where that's just not a thing anymore, you know, but Danny is Danny, you know, 
And there tends to be a lot of noise with Danny's teams uh, in, in that way. So I just hope that it doesn't kind of return back to the kind of the same state for him. Fingers crossed for that. Um, the the other part for me is that I don't really like from a, um, from a just a value perspective, but at the same time, I thought it was going to be worse. This is better than I expected at this point in time. Um, I don't like teams. We're trying to force off to send out, you know, a draft asset with him, which to me, I I never personally, I never would have done that. Um, but I honestly that if they felt like they had to do this, and I think they did, I think they did feel that way. That to find, you know, something like Rudy Gay's contract coming back, uh, to kind of be the the price tag, is better than I expected. Which which is sad <laughs> in a way. In in that sense, it's like it's fine, I guess, that they that it, it wasn't a more harmful transaction. Um, you know, considering that it, it feels like that was something that they felt like they had to do. So I not great, but I thought it'd be worse. Yeah. Uh I kind of didn't really like the trade for either team, weirdly. Like, it doesn't feel like a win-win. It feels kind of like a, you know, a C-plus trade for both teams. Not not that they shouldn't do it, but it's just... I, I want to start, first of all, just with, like, you know, we, we, we can't work in abstraction. And so, the, you know, the context to it, at least to me, is that if you're going to make a trade for Sadiq Bay and if you're going to hire Quinn Snyder those those were sort of the two moves that just sort of put the writing on the wall to me because uh, and and not ignoring the fact that the Hawks didn't want to butt up against the tax and they were going to make a you know in all likelihood make a move to get under the tax but you start to think about okay well where is that going to happen and i think the the bay and snyder moves kind of sealed it i think if you just look at sort of the style of play of some of snyder's teams and the way that they were set up when he was in utah you know the 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 move for bay the price they paid the style he plays like those two kind of fit together and they don't really fit with john even though he's you know obviously a very good basketball player that does a lot of things well on a basketball court just those two moves together felt like okay you know he's been in the rumors for a couple of years but yeah now now it's really going to happen if if there's going to be a move to get you know some of the uh non-tray salary off the roster that that's probably where it's going to come yeah and, and i know, guess it's you really... know what, what i don't like about it to, to kind of finish that is it's like mm-hmm. for utah like if they were to just sign Collins to that deal that he signed because that's basically what they did is they just kind of carved up trap uh, cap space by acquiring him. They didn't really give up any real assets. Rudy Gay, I would be shocked if he stays on the roster for any significant amount of time, like literally shocked. That pick's not going to be a fancy pick. I think like the mathematical possibility, the best that it could possibly be is like 44 or 43. And even then it's probably going to be worse or it might not convey at all. Um, so those aren't real assets and, you know, it's basically just get the salary off the Hawks books. Uh, 
and generate a trade exception. Uh, and and you you know you can slot gay into a trade exception, but I'm not sure that's all that useful. But he does he does kind of fit. Um, and so you know the Hawks are losing talent. Uh, Collins is a little bit of a weird fit in Utah, uh, but I, I kind of like what he brings. I just don't know that at that price that he helps Utah in a way. Like I just think that that the cap space is going to become more valuable than maybe Collins, just in the same way that Collins's contract wasn't a real asset for the Hawks either. Um, so it just seems like they just kind of burnt their cap space. Obviously, they're getting a very good player. The fit remains to be seen. I think it could be kind of nice. And then the Hawks just lose a, a big piece of talent. Like the Hawks were a very deep team last year, and they just cut one of the big pieces of their depth. And there's nothing to replace it. The rookies are not going to replace it. Uh, Rudy Gay is not going to replace it. It's going to have to come from somewhere else. It could be the young players taking a step, but even still, uh, you know, that means that they're just not as deep a team as they were. So I don't know. I, I don't like it, but I will say this. Like, I do think it's a good trade for the Hawks in the sense of like, okay, uh, you know, what kind of trade did the Kings put together for Rashawn Holmes. Rashawn Holmes not nearly as good a player as John Collins, but they had to give a first-round pick to Dallas to get rid of that salary. And so, you know, it was looking like the Hawks might have to do that. They might have to append some sort of real asset to send John Collins out, and they didn't have to do that. So, uh, you know, obviously that aspect of it is is a win for the Hawks, a big one. Yeah, I think that's all fair. Um, and... You know, for me, it is hard just kind of going to trade mostly just giving John Collins away, just like you just described, and not getting anything back um, is tough. It, I feel a little better um, in that I'm excited about Jalen Johnson. Um, I think Sadiq Bay is uh, a great fit offensively around Trey. Um, and I, I think Hunter has shown some more things on defense that uh, helps you think he can spend more time than maybe he's most season so far at the four. So if Jalen if if was going to push for playing, they were going to have a hard time finding minutes for everyone. That doesn't push the trade uh, from kind of being bad or neutral, depending upon your view, to being good. Thing, it makes me feel a little better about it. I'm excited about Jalen. Uh, I don't know like who, like what JC grew to be able to do on defense. Jalen replicate like JC is an awesome defensive organizer, great weak side helper in the paint at the rim. Um, you know, plays hard, uh, communicates excellently, always connected, and, and and so in that sense, you know, while Jalen flashes some exciting things on defense, his ability to, you know, dig and strip the ball and his feel for jumping passing lanes. So there's a lot of stuff I'm excited about, but I, I feel like um, if the issues at the point of attack, which we've talked into the ground <laughs> at this point, persist that if Jalen can't kind of quickly, pretty quickly replicate a lot of what 
JC did there. And maybe that's more Hunter. Hunter showed a lot of great work last year, you know, helping down into the paint, using his yeah. size on the defensive end in a way that he often does it on offense and things like that. So maybe a combination of what Jalen and, and Hunter do. But I, and, and Hunter is a good organizer as well. He's grown a lot in that sense. And Jalen gets there with just more time, more confidence, and things like that. I'm super excited about Jalen. And like I said, if you're going to send John Collins out, you know, for nothing other than the favorability you get from a cap and tax perspective, having you know Hunter Bay Jalen on the team is about about as good as it can get. You know, when you think about kind of the, the fit there. Jalen's ability to run, move the ball, be a connecting passer, all that sort of stuff. Bay's ability to, you know, provide the spacing that you look for. Um, and then Hunter kind of doing more of the defensive stuff, I think, uh, that you kind of need at the four um, up rebounding aside. Um, and so they're they're pretty – they're in good shape positionally. I just – you know, I don't really like the process that got them here. If we, could, if we kind of zoom way out – take a step back, you know, however you want to say that, and ask ourselves how do we get here. To me, it's kind of the lack of a cohesive plan along the way. I mean, it, it, you know, we never know what to fully believe about rumors you hear, things you hear. Like, you know, it's been said, you know, the front office wanted to make a JC trade at one point, ownership shot it. I don't, I don't shut it down. I don't know if that's true, you know. But what I what I do know is that it looks like it just looks to me like the process uh, was kind of um, you know um, not fully clear along the way. Yeah, because I do think if you go back two years, you go back one year, I would think you know they had an opportunity to trade him for something if that's what they wanted to do. You know, you're probably stuck between like, oh well, we're coming off of a conference finals appearance and JC was a a huge part of that, you know, um, you know, into what is, what are our goals the next season? First full year under Nate. And and so it just, to me, like, you know, having, I've managed, you know, some pretty big organizations in my career and I know what it's looked like when the plan was kind of up and down left in the organization. And that's just, I'm not saying that this is, I'm just saying, that's what it looks like to me, and that's how, to me, you end up in place. Uh, I have a question. Yeah. Looking at this trade, sorry, I'm organizing my thoughts slowly here, but I want to <laughs> no phrase it the right way. Like, you know, I mentioned sort of Bay Snyder being sort of the two final steps and really, you know, leading to the conclusion that, okay, John Collins is not going to be here long term. But like even before that, it was always sort of hit or miss with respect to, you know, putting Collins out there with Capella. They had a lot of success with that at times, uh, especially, you know, defensively. That just made them a real strong defensive team in the East. You know, those lineups that had those two out there, they really grew. Like Collins over his six years in Atlanta, like the development that he made on defense still 
sort of leaves me a little bit slack jawed, com- you know, comparing it to where he started as a mm-hmm. as a rookie. But are we not running into the same problems where it's just going to be okay? Uh, we like Jalen Johnson, we like Clint Capella. Can we play those two guys together? Or is that just going to not work in a similar way that Collins and Capella didn't work? Well, I for well, so when I think about the Capella Jalen combination, I think people's minds go straight to two non shooters, right? And that's, and, that's and, a start. and I understand it. <laughs> and ahead, and, and I understand it, Capella doesn't shoot, and Johnson is still searching and is hesitant. Like he's going to freeze on his shot a lot and try to put it on the deck. Or or maybe this coaching staff helps him break through that. Just like let it fly, let it fly, let it fly. You uh-huh. know, um, and we and you and I talked about it in the in the playoffs. I mean, it was what four or five attempts or something like that in the latter half of that series where he just shot it. You know, and but it's it's still like was he fully buying into like I, I love this shot. <laughs> it didn't look that way to me. That like I love taking this shot. It was more of like I have to take this shot. You know, um, but for but for me the difference is you know. Are you just are you going to expect Jalen to stand on the three point line, catch the ball, be left open like JC was often, and take that shot? Or are you going to get him on the move? Are you going to get him cutting? Are you going to get him and as a screener and double drag, let him function in the role? Are you going to let him use the skills he has that JC doesn't have to the same level? Ball handling, passing, those connecting skills. Yep. And I think if you just park him on the three point line you're doing a terrible job coaching, you know? Right. And so I think, I think things you run, the role you carve out for him, uh, not married to kind of a certain offensive position, which has a lot to do with what you unlock uh, in that group. There's a lot of, like, there's times where a guy who's an, say an average shooter, if Jalen becomes a shooter, does some serious work, just being a good cutter, good timing, good recognition of, the defense is tilted too far in one direction or whatever that is. And, um, you know, and that's something that that could work, you know? And like I said, that he's already an above average passer for power forward. He's already an above average ball handler for power forward. He's awesome in transition on the, on the ball handling, creating, pushing or receiving and yeah. lane receiving all of that. And, you know, and, and JC was good at half transition, right? Yeah, well, JC pushing, you know. So, yeah. so it, to me, it's just kind of like how you plug him into certain lineups that allow him to unlock a greater um, volume of tools that he has. You know, if if you if you're going to play him like go replicate what JC was doing on offense, you're punting on so much of his value. So, a lot of it just comes down to how the coaching staff kind of you know deploys him. I agree with all that, and you're absolutely correct. Like. Jalen's connecting skills as a ball handler and a passer are just on a whole different tier than John Collins. But mm-hmm. the shooting does matter. Like I'm I'm worried that like they're gonna be vulnerable to certain kinds of junk defenses if they try to roll Jalen Johnson and Clint Capel out there together. And then, you know, the one connecting skill that John really did have is that if you're facing you know, some kind of two, three zone. John was a great option to just get the ball in the middle at the free throw line and, you know, have a threat of a scoring 
you know, you, you kind of weaken the middle of that zone defense and you get people coming to the middle where they didn't really want to be in the middle because you got to go guard John Collins with one person and probably have some help there too. And while he wasn't necessarily a great passer, he was pretty darn good in that particular skill set. And, you know, that might not be exactly the same for Jalen. Maybe he'll get it over time, but I just think that it's 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 still going to be a vulnerability and the Hawks are going to have to work something out. And obviously, Snyder's a, a great coach and will figure out a lot. And hopefully one of the things he figures out, because I still think that it's really fine, but it's going to still have to be a lot of Jalen next to Onyeka will work better and then probably try to pair Sadiq and, and Clint a lot. I think those are going to be the the optimal pairings when you try to look power forward center. Yeah, I think it'll be pretty matchup dependent too. Like there, there are teams yeah. where you have to have your best rebounding on the floor. Jalen will be super valuable, right? Yeah. You go up against Memphis and Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to crash the boards as a four the whole game. You better have somebody you can go fight with him. You get rebounds and Jalen's natural ability to rebound. I think helps there. Um, and they, and they will go mix it up. He just he just doesn't have the natural rebounding kind of um, instincts and talent that, that Jalen has. Um, but I, I do think, you know, we when you kind of look at this roster, there aren't any games where they they need, like they did against Miami in the play-in, run long stretches of bogey plus bay to get to because yeah. where the spacing is critical, right? Though, like, when we kind of, to kind of flip the, well, the thought exercise here, like, one of the reasons John was so valuable defensively is his ability to kind of help in the middle. Right, you can get Clint up the floor, you know, helping him attack, getting to the level of the main, same with Anyeka, what have you. But that's when the Hawks would get killed on weak side corner threes or or weak side threes up the three point because you've gotten gotten your center up the floor in the middle usually. Now you got your power forward smack in the middle of paint. How do you how do you cover? You know, a team that can space the floor like Boston can, or like Golden State can, and on and on and on, right? And so, I think what the Hawks realized over time was, yeah, what JC has got is is great in the context of we need our bigs to help at the point of the screen, but we don't really have the athletes, the length across the, uh, the rest of the lineup on the floor to close out. And to cover ground, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So, in the second half of this past season, his defensive value plummeted because they stopped doing that so much, and they they kept Clint anchored. When they when Anyeka was in, he would get as we talked about a little further away from the rim and all of that. But they got killed at the three point line when they depended upon John to come kind of function behind a, a big that's a. a Higher than the free throw line or what have you. And so I think when they realize like that's just something that we can't do, especially in the playoffs, especially against a team like Boston, you know, that stuff worked great against Philly two years ago, against the next two years ago. <laughs> but I mean, if you're if you're trying to kind of replicate, you know, a run like they had, I mean, you you've got to be able to kind of deal with teams that space you out defensively. And having John kind of be, you know, the second you know interior defender there just it it pulls too much of your defensive presence and onto the interior and what is Clint going to run from the top of the key out towards the, the three-point break and you know I, 
probably that's probably not a realistic thing. And so when I think about Jalen and Hunter, hey, I think I'm still trying to figure out what I, I what expectations are for him defensively next year. I, you know, th- those are guys that have a better ability to kind of close out, and I think they're going to kind of rely on that length and and athleticism and speed. Now, now John is, you know, does butt off close. I mean, nobody played harder defense John Collins on this team <laughs> like, for forever. You know, um, but I just I just think they're. I think they halfway through last year, before the coaching change, but Quinn took it further. They punted on pulling in a helper from the weak side, um, unless it was just absolutely dire to do so. And when you do that, how do you generate the the defensive value you want to generate from Collins? You really, in my mind, it's hard to do that. Okay. I agree with all that. I would just add that, I'm sure this is not a new point, but you know, trying to match up against Philly and New York is is also a lot like trying to match up against Bucks at uh, the Bucks. And I still think mm-hmm. I still think that you know, long term, that they might be the the best team going forward. Like, I, am I convinced that that the Bucks are going to be worse than the Celtics over the next couple of years? Not really. I mean, you you might match up poorly against Boston, but all of a sudden you end up in a playoff series against the bucks and you might you might really miss john collins um i i have to admit that i didn't i wouldn't say that i forgot um so forgot isn't the right word but like i was looking at the cap sheet for the hawks going forward for the next couple of seasons today and it's like Oh shoot! Yeah, Bogey's gonna be here for a while. He had that extension. <laughs> like there was the, just right. that point one of a second where it's like, oh snap! That's right. That's right. Okay, he's gonna be here for a while. And while I feel like everyone is vastly overstating what Kobe Buffkin is going to mean to the Hawks rotation as a very thin, very young rookie in this rookie season that's coming up. I still wonder that, like, if the Hawks sort of look at, okay, where where do we need to bolster things? Is there a chance that, keeping in mind that Bogey's going to be here for a while and what Quinn wants out of his team and what Bogey brings offensively, defensively, that they might look at Bogey a little bit more like a small forward at this point. Like when they start to try to acquire, okay, they they say, well, we've got these nine players. We really like them. We want them in our rotation. And we're going to try to lay out, okay, it's going to be this, this, and this. We're going to kind of line things up this way. What do we need? Where do we got to bolster things? Are they going to say, you know, what we really need is is sort of another combo guard. And Bogey is going to kind of be our our offensive juice if we need a a small forward who can kind of playmake. Because he's yeah, know, I think he's a little bit older and a little bit slower, but he's still yeah. such an unbelievable offensive player. Yeah, he he really is an unbelievable offensive player. His his ability to like to know like exactly how much space he needs to get his shot is is so elite. It's like it's crazy. Uh, there just aren't many guys that have that measured the way that he does. And that's super valuable, especially when you're playing against a defense that really just doesn't give up three uncontested three point shots. You know, right. his ability to create that shot, you know, is so important. 
and at different points along the way has has carried their offense, you know, um, during really important games, you know, and things like that. So that that's valuable. I, I think I think that's a fair thing though too, is to think about a, you know combo guard. You know, I have no like when I saw you know Monty Morris might be available from Washington. I thought that'd be a nice fit, you know. And everybody went, Delon. I'm like, you guys think I don't think about Delon? Get out of here! Like I've talked about, you know, Delon for you know forever. Get them both. That's great. But but what my point was that Monty would give them more offensive continuity than Delon would. Offensive continuity, for sure, right? Um, Delon on defense is beautiful, just a beautiful thing, you know, stuff like that. But I'm like, and I went last. Like, how much does my, how much does he make? And I went and looked. It's like, oh, it's probably a little. Old. Probably a little too much. I can't. I couldn't find like a a salary match in the scenario that that worked. Who knows how might might not use these trade exceptions along the way, you know, um, and such. Um, but you know, kind of that's out there. It's like, oh, I don't. What, is, what kind of contract is Javon Carter going to get? You know, Javon Carter is not awesome, like offensively as a creator. Um, pays me better than Kobe Bufkin for this year, next year, <laughs> you know, for a year or two. And he'd be better um, than, say, know, Aaron Holiday. For sure, better than Aaron Holiday. But but, but the big question for me is, like, I kind of want to say, Kevin, can I answer this after I go watch Summer League? Because um, I want to see, like, are they running AJ like a point guard? Like, a lot of teams use Summer League to kind of push an envelope like that and let it, you know, and that that would tell me, like, are they going to kind of more AJ more kind of doing on ball stuff, lead guard kind of stuff, and how does it look and things like that? It feels too early to kind of bake that into your plan for every game across the regular season. It just feels too early, but sometimes players surprise you, you know, and maybe they see him in summer league and they're like, you know, by mid December, I think we can get him there. You know, and then you then you can not have to be so invested in solving for that gap for the whole season. If you feel like, oh, after thirty games or work, we feel like AJ is going to be the solution. You know, there. And so, but for me, that's like I'm like, if you, it, it feels like they need a solution for one year to, and then to kind of see, and and and, and maybe it could be a guy who let if AJ gets there mid December or mid January, wherever that person is okay, kind of giving him that that opportunity and not needing to play, you know, all the time. Who is that player? You know, it's it's kind of hard it's kind of hard for me to think about, you know, but um but I but I still think it's an issue. I like I love I I mean for for the 15th pick, I love Puffkin. We talked about that, you know, after they made the, the pick, I think his versatility is exactly what they need. But feels like year two is the one you really kind of look at before you kind of bank on a good 20 minutes a game every night playing the one and the two swinging back and forth between different roles on offense and defense and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, it feels like there's a kind of a gap there. Um, and it kind of feels like there are some players that are available. If they could find me make it work like DeJuan Wright or Monty Morris or others. Yeah. To backtrack to AJ for a second, it's, uh, you know, with all the things that he did in his rookie season, I, you know, my rule for right now is never say never about AJ. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to doubt that guy. But, like, it, you know, when you look at his season in total, just with regard to, let's say, 
playmaking, you know, what they wanted to do when he had the ball in his hands. It just, to me, it felt very much like, uh, you know, to use a football analogy, it's just, you know, a, a team that organized their whole offense around a game managing quarterback, you know, and just said, okay, don't screw up. Don't throw any interceptions. We're just going to make right. this nice and simple for you. Um, but yeah, don't make any mistakes. And to, to, to the quarterback's credit, he didn't make any mistakes like that, that that's kind of how it played out, but it just felt like when he had the ball in his hands, the offense was to be very straightforward, very just kind of go hunt your shot, uh, you know, and, 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 and go, you know, get what you can on offense and, you know, don't worry too much about the rest. And, and, you know, I'm not, I would never want to say, Hey, I don't think AJ can do it because I, probably think AJ can do it, but I think it might take a while. I, like I said, you know, like you were saying about January, it might, might be a few months before he's ready to make that kind of progression. He needs reps. And yeah, that's, that's to me, the number one thing to look for in summer league. Yeah. Um, I mean, but you know, when you, when you were describing kind of what it looked like with AJ, I, part of you was like, how much of that was Nate, you know? Um <laughs> And I don't mean that. No, I know. And, and yeah, I mean, I'm dying to know it. You couldn't really change it all in, in 20 games or right. whatever it was that Quinn had. And so, you know, I want to know, you know, I, I'd love to give Quinn some truth serum and get to talk to him and say, okay, what do you really think about what, what AJ can and should do on offense and what, what's it going to look right. like? And we don't know. Yeah. That's why, I, you know, I hope he plays, you know, two or three games I'm going to be there for two games in summer league. I hope he plays selfishly. I'll say he plays the two games I'm there in person. But like, you know, when Brad and I did, you know, over on his uh, podcast, the Ooh. AJ episode. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, when we talk, I talked about the fact that, I mean, he already does some things super impressive. Like in the pick and roll, he never gets sped up. Never gets sped up. Right. Uh, and that's it's, that's crazy for a 19-year-old that, that you know, uh, was 19 his whole his whole rookie year. You know his pace is great. He's methodical in a in a good way, not hesitant. He he recognizes the space that's that's there, and he consumes that space immediately. He doesn't let the defender take space back. Yep. Once space is um kind of so the, he's already so advanced in some of the, a few nuanced areas. That's to me what makes me wonder, not predict, but makes me wonder like if Quinn looks at him and says, no, we can get him there like by January one, you know, or whatever, you know, it just wouldn't shock me. But, but I still think that means that, you know, having a guy that can maybe play the first 25 games of the season in the rotation. And then when the time is right, you know, be okay, not playing a veteran who can just be a professional about that is probably would be a good move for them. Person is not Monty Morris. Monty Morris wants to get another nice contract. <laughs> so, you know, but there's there's probably somebody out there that might might be willing to do that. All right. Yeah. I mean, I I, I was hoping we would we do this podcast today and we'd get to talk about a lot more about the young guys and the exhibit tens and two way players or Donovan Williams or you know, whatever are these other things that were happening, but obviously this was a, this was kind of a, I guess not earth shattering day because we, we kind of felt like it's coming, but it certainly uh, is a permanent and uh, 
significant change for the Hawks going forward, and it's going to impact the, the style of play that they have. Yeah, I, I, don't, I mean, you can you know speak to this, but he was the most available, consistently available player with the media, with the local media, right? He right. was great about that. I think you know it'll be interesting to see how that you know kind of gap is filled. Um, just a, a leader. You know, a positive energy guy with across a grinding NBA regular season. I think that that's really helpful, you know. And so, again, I felt like this is really, it's, it's like one of those things like, oh my gosh, I really don't want to do this, but I feel like I have to do this. I, I, I would hope that that was kind of the sensation <laughs> that they felt. I'll miss watching play for the Hawks. You know, I, I, I mean, I watch a lot of other NBA games and I'll, I'm sure I'll watch a little more Utah because he's on that team. I enjoy watching him play. I enjoy watching how he organizes on defense. So he plays hard and 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 the against you see when things aren't going well. Oh for six, you know, on offense. He, you would never know it from you know his demeanor on defense. Just a lot of it about him. I wish I'll miss blocks. Um but I can that way and also be excited about the opportunity that this means for Jalen and others, you know. So we can hold, you know. Both of those kinds of feelings, and that's where I am with it. Yep, he was a pro's pro, great with the media, won the inaugural Sekou Smith Award. Uh, Could have won it really all three years that it, it that it existed. Uh, I think you talk about maybe voter fatigue in an overblown way. <laughs> <laughs> like, but like, even sure. the media was like, "Well, we should share and give it to somebody." We could have given it to John all three years, like. He he did the yep. thankless stuff like the the countless number of times where let's say one player was brought to the podium after a loss. My God, they they forked that on John's plate so damn often. It was unbelievable. And uh, you know, he was always a good sport. He played hard and uh, I as you know, to all the things you said about missing watching him play, I I would just second all of it. There you go. All right. Good night, Bob. Good night, Bob. Good night, John. Good night, John.